Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners. And we've got three amazing contest winners. And what makes it super amazing is this is the ultimate of the United Kingdom. So uh, we have all three of the recent volumes represented here. We have uh, J.L. George with her story, Catching My Death. So that's Jess, and that's in volume 36. In volume 37, we have Dan Watson, who uh, was the grand prize winner that year, with his uh, amazing illustration of how to steal the plot armor. And then from this year, from just a very lovely uh, story called Lilt of a Lark, Michael Panther. So welcome, all three of you. Thank oh, you. Thanks, John. Thank you so much. So, uh, Jess, since uh, uh, you've been waiting the longest to come here to the United States for this, having to uh, wait out the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, both at dinner time, we were talking, both myself and Emily, just, we love your story, you know. Thank you so much. It was, it was great. So, Catching My Death obviously isn't one of those um, fun fairy tales. It's you're, you're more into the uh, dark fantasy. Is that your normal bent that you like to write? Yeah, I tend to do a, a little bit of sort of darkish contemporary fantasy and a little bit of near future sci-fi. Yeah. So explain a little bit like the, when I read the story, it was like, it's so appropriate for the story, but you would have no idea what she thought of and what she came up with the story. So a bit about your story. Okay, so yeah, it, it really started from just taking the phrase catching my death, which, you know, is the sort of thing if you go out without a, co- a coach, um, yeah. at least in the UK, your mum says you'll catch your death. <laughs> yeah. Um, just taking it literally and um, kind of envisioning the death as a creature. And that was where it started. And it just kind of, I just started building up a little world around that about, you know, what, what it would mean if you could see how someone was going to die or at least a, a vague idea of it and how that would affect their life and their chances. Yeah, and then swapping out, that was like, whoa. <laughs> so anyway, it's was, it was a super way cool story, and we really enjoyed it, because Emily and I, my wife, I'm the president of Galaxy Press, and she's the vice president of public affairs, so we proofread the books before yeah. they get uh, go to the press. So um, we really enjoyed that proofread that we did there. Okay, so now, uh, Dan... Um, I Hello. You, you were the, you were the <laughs> grand prize winner there of the Illustrated Contest for Volume Thirty Seven. So, and how to steal a plot armor? It's just it's a brilliant. I mean, it's just amazing art that you did there. So, a bit about your art, please. How, what you like to do and how you how you paint? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I love painting. I love painting for books mainly. I've also done games. I've done. I've had a recent piece for Warhammer that just came out with the Black Library. I've done some internal pieces for Brandon Sanderson, who I think was a past writer when I now judge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now I've done uh, some games work for Monty Cook Games too. And yeah, um, my work ranges from fantasy, sci-fi, horror. And And this one here you did here on the How to Steal a Plot Armor, that's fantasy. Mm. So that's just like, so for me, what really struck me was uh, the depth that you created so your your colors, you've got all these dark colors, but it's just the detail you're able to create on your art is uh, is just amazing. 
Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, a big inspiration of mine was N.C. Wyeth, um, who's a Golden Age illustrator, and he is... I love his colours so much. I've done so many studies of him, um, and I've tried to like do a spin on his work just because Luke Wildman's story was so adventurous and so fun. Um, I just tried to like make it a bit more modern and give it like a, fre- a fresh look. Which was amazing how you did that. Now, Michael, Lilt of a Lark, just as hers just really captured my attention on catching my death, was just like, whoa, I didn't you know, see that one coming there. Yours was such a fun story to read. God, we had, glad you liked it. I am too. Yeah. But then, actually, you should be most glad that the judges liked it. Yes. That, they're the ones that did the voting. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, I'm also very happy. Okay, good. A little bit about your story that you did there in Lilt of a Lark. Yeah, so, so uh, it started, started, I was just listening to a piece of music one day and, and thought about how it can have a big impact on people's moods. As you said, certain pieces of music can make you melancholic, certain can make you very, very happy and energetic. So I took that idea and, and thought, what if, kind of similar to what, what Jess said with hers, what if quite literally there was someone who could sway someone else's mind or make them do things through the power of music? And out of the sort of brainstorming sessions came a guy, uh, a bard, I guess, because I knew it was going to be a secondary world fantasy and, you know, bards are obviously almost there. Uh, well, they have a they have a special place in in fantasy, right? So, so I, I came out with him, and and then it was all about okay, well, how does he make people do things, right? And so, uh, so it was time to get a bit clever with the lyrics, and okay, well, he can make them do things, but only if he sings particular songs about them or about what he wants them to do, and it's sort of uh, an amalgamation of of of, of his talents. Uh, but as you said, he's not the most. Uh, well, he hasn't been put through the ringer, so so he's prone to mistakes, and that coupled with the ability to make people do stuff uh, at will for your lyrics makes for an interesting story, or so I think. A very interesting story. So the judges. Yeah, yeah, clearly, yes, yeah, thankfully. So um, now, Jess, you've got a PhD. So a little bit about that specifically, because it very much ties into what science fiction fantasy is all about. Okay, sure. So um, I wrote my PhD on um, the uses of evolutionary theory in the work of H.P. Lovecraft and Arthur Machen, who um, you may or may not have heard of, but he was a a Welsh author um, who was very influential upon Lovecraft. Um, Comes from Caerleon, which is about 10 minutes from where I grew up. (laughs) So so for those of you who don't know, H.P. Lovecraft, and I don't know the other author you're talking about, but are they both horror, dark fantasy um, yeah, Machen kind of being a little bit earlier came out of the Victorian Gothic, really. Um, you know, he wrote kind of much more straightforwardly supernatural kind of Gothic fiction. And then Lovecraft, of course, brought in the kind of, I guess, gave birth to the genre of sci-fi horror as we know it, really. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And this is a point, and I'll show you afterwards on this, because um, between dinner and now, which we just yeah. had together, there's there's a book... It's either about or by Lovecraft, and it had letters, H.P. Lovecraft letters in there, where he talks about um, Owen Hubbard's fear mm-hmm. that that was uh, one of the books that inspired him to write horror. Tim Powers was just, he said, look at this, look at this. He's when it showed us a showed us thing, because he's a total Lovecraft fan, as you I'm by now know. not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but anyways, that's, that's great, because it's, um, he obviously made a major influence, like you said, in, in modern horror. Yeah. Yes. So now, Dan. So what type of 
your career traje- trajectory as an artist. A little, can you describe that a bit? Yeah, sure. So it was a little bit up and down for a while. So I loved to draw as a kid, but then as I got into school, which would be se- secondary school for us, I think that's middle school or high school here, somewhere in there. Yeah. My art teachers really didn't like the kind of stuff I was drawing, and they really they just wouldn't grade my work if I handed that in. Actually, they gave me sheets of paper of stuff I was allowed to draw, and that put me right off. So I was going more towards the um, engineering and design route because they were teaching technical drawing. And even though it was technical, they'd still let me draw what I'd want to draw, <laughs> which is why I initially I ended up going into mechanical engineering as a career, and I was doing an apprenticeship for that. Yeah. I was going to college for that as well. And it, it just wasn't creatively fulfilling, really. <laughs> so what gave you that courage to jump from like, what everybody knew was right for you to what you knew was right for you? I think it was all the stories that I'd read, like all the writers and all the um, all my favorite stories, like Brandon Sanderson, like Miss Bourne, I think, like really got me interested in illustration just because of the images it put in my head. Which is amazing. I mean, you're just such a brilliant illustrator. It's just to think Thank that you. could have been just... He draws really good buildings. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So. And now you're working with Sanderson, right? Or you said you did a bit of work with him. Yeah, that's right. That's I've got, insane. Yeah, thank you. I've got two pieces that are going to be in the end paper yeah. for one of his upcoming leather bounds for Alloy of Law. Wow. So oh, I'm wow. really excited about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We just yeah. presented that general that did the keynote speaking at the awards ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, He's, his two favorite authors are Brandon Sanderson and Orson Scott Card, and he was hoping they, they would, <laughs> no. one would be here. Oh, yes. Scott Card was here a few years ago, as was Brandon. Um, but fortunately, Brandon now needs to uh, deliver on his $42 million Kickstarter. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And Scott Card is teaching. He's a professor, mm. so he's teaching right now. But um, Brandon sent a, a, a leather bound set of Way of Kings that he autographed for the for the journal for his for his birthday, and um, the end papers are just so beautiful. You know, they're just he's got such quality work on these leather bounds that that he has that Brandon does. So that's that's quite a um, it's even more so recognition for your quality of art that you're in. You know that you're creating his end papers and stuff like that. Yeah, they're amazing books, and I'm so proud to be a part of them. (laughs) I think he will be launching a Kickstarter for that as well, though I doubt it's going to be this year. (laughs) I don't know, maybe he's written another novel, and he's going to launch another Kickstarter for that by the end of the year. He's going to make good on his... (laughs) He's got to make good on his four secret novels first. Yeah. So, uh, Michael, what's what's been your trajectory as a writer? Yeah, so, so I have always right from the very very start of my life as far back as I can remember put it that way I have always written and wanted to write you know when I was very very young I would write with pen and, or pencil and paper on my uh, bedroom floor uh, and then I think it was actually after Star Wars The Phantom Menace came out that I, I decided I watched it at the cinema I got home and I thought I'm going to write the sequel to that and I thought in my seven-year-old brain that 
I would write the sequel. It would, you know, do do do, fly off to Hollywood <laughs> or to George Lucas, and that would be the second film. I was like, well, I can do this, so I did it. Uh, and he didn't, obviously. Uh, he chose to make Attack of the Clones instead. But, but fun fact, <laughs> you sent him the manuscript. <laughs> well, I, no, I tried. I don't. I gave it to my mum to send. I very much doubt she actually sent it, since it, it was just pages and reams and reams and reams of a uh, uh, seven-year-old scrawly handwriting. But, but. Attack of the Clones, up until a few years ago, was actually the lowest rated Star Wars film on IMDb. So I'm not saying I would have done it better, but you know, there's something to be said for for the fact that I could possibly have had a, had a shot. But uh, but yeah, anyway, so so I so I did that, and then from there I continued to continue uh, continued to write and got better and better and better. And then about four years ago, I decided to have a serious crack at writing properly kind of you get serious about it and start entering competitions and stuff and i found wattpad.com which is like an online sort of any anyone can upload uh, upload a book there and anyone can read and they're free to read Uh, and they have like an annual awards and i my novella that i'd uh, written for that won their annual awards uh which was which was really good so then i i after that success i then so okay well i want to take a step up so i just googled the sort of best writing competitions in the world within sci-fi and fantasy because that's kind of exclusively what I what I write in and top of the list was writers of the future so that sort of led me to I was like, okay well this seems huge yeah uh, let's have a go at that and here I am oh good well welcome yeah yeah thank <laughs> you and so now Jess your your trajectory as an author so I started telling stories when I was quite small I kind of had a a recurring cast of dinosaurs, which I would regale my dad with stories of. <laughs> um, and I, I carried on trying to write, you know, mostly pony books and things like that mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid. Um, and then I kind of, I got a bit older and I, I went went into academia and kind of didn't really write creatively so much for a while. Um, and I guess I kind of, because um, um, my dad was also a writer, he uh, didn't write science fiction fantasy, he wrote kind of, gritty realistic fiction but he published two books of short stories and then um kind of after he passed away I kind of sort of started to feel like well you know he he always believed in my writing so maybe I should try and do something with this and um so about four or five years ago I started submitting stories a bit more seriously oh that's good and then now you've got a career obviously you have a day job because Selling a short story isn't going to pay the bills very long. Yes. So what's your day job and a little bit what you do on that? Sure. So um, I work in the university library service at Cardiff University, basically. Um, So, yeah, just kind of, yeah. Obviously working in a library is is a great thing to do if you're a writer because you've got access to so many books and journals. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's a very nice place to work. For sure. Yeah. Are you pretty much content with writing in speculative fiction or are you going to move to move around or are you like no I, I think the speculative area is kind of where I'm where I'm likely to stay I would have yeah. thought yeah and you like the fantasy side or the sci-fi side a little bit of both I kind of you know I like the sort of perhaps the kind of more softer more social end of sci-fi um kind of near future stuff um yeah and kind of the more contemporary slightly real world grounded fantasy right yeah. okay good and then yourself, uh, Dan, what's your, are you able to use, art, do art in your day job as well as, or how's this, how's it work for you? 
Uh, well, art is my day job. I, That's so cool. Yeah, I quit engineering back in 2017. Then it took a few years to get going. But back in 2020, I started getting, uh, soon after I entered the competition, I started getting a few more jobs. And yeah, now last year in 2021, I really started picking off a bit and started getting more clients. And it's all been really fun so far. So yes, I, I do get a chance to use art in my day job. Oh, that's way cool. And then uh, yourself, Michael. So what, what's your day job versus your writing? So I actually write as a day job, not exclusively novels yet. I'm a journalist. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's a kind of double-edged sword. It's good that I, I write for a living, which, of course, is my passion. But at the same time then, after a day of writing, I have to then sit down and write more on my personal projects. So my brain, you know, when it gets to the point where my brain is melted, I then have to summon the motivation and, and wit to you know, sit down from, I don't know, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And, and write on my own stuff, which obviously takes its time. But, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, couldn't, I don't think I could ever work with anything else. It's, I was put on this earth to write. Well, that's good. So you said journalism? <laughs> yes, journalism. So what yeah. kind of journalism? So it used to be sports journalism up until I moved to, to Sweden. Uh, and I'm currently based in Sweden. So there I, it's actually quite a lot of US-based news and sort of entertainment news and old celebrity stuff. Uh, we have quite a lot of stuff on like celebrities from like the 60s and 70s. Uh, and then translate articles from Swedish into English. Uh, and so, yeah, a little bit of everything. I also do some stuff on, on our, with our video channels, um, which is also fun. So, so, yeah. Oh, good. So you guys just finished, we just finished the uh, week-long workshop. We have two writers and one artist here. So, and this is where you can all jump in and stuff like that. So what has been the highlight for you? And you guys can answer however you want to. Um, in whatever sequence. So what's been the highlight for you uh, this week? It, for me, it's absolutely been meeting everyone here and hanging out with everyone. Like I've loved the presentations. I've loved meeting all the judges and everyone at Author Services and Galaxy Press. And yeah, the friends I've made here, Like I'm going to keep in touch for as long as I can. Good, good. Yeah, absolutely. Getting to meet so many kind of talented and creative people who are also really supportive. I think everyone's been really, really nice and kind of open and generous towards each other here. Um, yeah, and getting to learn from the judges. Um, I mean, I think uh, Tim and Jody, you could just listen to them speak all day, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they're very knowledgeable and just yeah. they, they're so appreciative of the, the new, you know, the new wave of, of pros that they're welcoming into the industry. So that's, yeah. that's great. Mm, I, I would love to, to give an answer that you haven't heard before, but my answer is, is you know, everything about this has been incredible, from, from meeting, meeting the judges and getting to learn from their, their wisdoms over the past week, which is, you know, literally uh, something that money can't buy. Um, and the fact that you guys, uh, Galaxy Press and, and Author Services, have treated us i said it last night at the gala but it, you have treated us like rock stars right we've been sort of looked after to the to the uh 10th degree it really has been amazing and then it culminated in the in the gala itself last night which was everything you could sort of imagine and more with a with a proper red carpet and just it was just every, everything that's happened has been done so professional uh, so professionally uh and it's something well it's something i could get used to 
Uh, I hope, <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm, uh, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to try not to, but I definitely could. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the dessert served in that gala is just mwah, so, so lovely. I'd come back again just for that. <laughs> Everything else is a bonus. A very nice bonus, though. So any particular part of the awards ceremony that you just like went, this was the highlight, this was, this was so cool? Wow, I don't know. It felt like such a blur in a way because, it's, yeah, it's really huge. And, the, yeah, the Taglian complex, am I saying that right, yeah. is, is gorgeous. Um, Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it could have kind of almost went past in a blur to me. It's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the Taglian is, we've been there, this is our third time. Yeah. And we just love, we love that venue. Um, yeah. You know, the whole setup on the red carpet, you know, with the media that's there. And then, um, yeah, because we had, you know, the, the major wire services that, that covered it. But we also yeah. had uh, Xinhua, which is the biggest wire service for the Orient. They're there covered it in all the photos and stuff like that. And that, they're huge. So it was, and then a lot of stuff in between. So it was, it was really good on that. And then we had, I think it's 3.7, 3.8 million uh, people mm-hmm. listening and or watching to the, yeah. the broadcast last night. So um, well, that was that was pretty fun. What did you think of the general as the keynote speaker? Yeah, I, I thought he was an extremely, extremely good speaker and extremely good in that everything he, he was saying and, you know, the link between science fiction and real life future, it's, it's sort of like something that you, I had never really thought about before. I'd never considered it that much before. But then when, when it, when someone says it, it's like, that is 100% true. Like, it's exactly true. And it was, it was just good to be able to listen, to sit and listen to, to someone with such incredible life experience. And it's the one that was the ones that helped create the Space Force for the United States. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And like, that's mind-boggling for someone from Kettering Town, England, uh, to sit <laughs> and listen, <laughs> listen to, uh, to, 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 to the general speaking. That, that was just, yeah, it was a pleasure. Good. Yeah, for sure. He seemed like such a lovely chap. Uh, I spoke to him a little bit, like just afterwards on stage, and yeah, he seemed really, really lovely. And I didn't expect him to be such a, such a down to earth and just really nice guy. He's a very, very nice guy. Very nice guy. So on um, the workshop week itself, we had there were the essays that were gone over. There were the uh, the. Tim and Jody, obviously, mm-hmm. and then there were the other guest lectures. So, yeah. what were some? I don't, don't want to say like what was the highlight, but what were some of the, some of some of the highlights for you, Jess? Oh wow! I mean, obviously, I think everyone says the twenty-four hour story is um, a real experience, and it and it was um, obviously it's yeah, it's a lot of pressure, but it's it's great to kind of feel that actually, yeah, I can create something like that under that kind of pressure and. Um, yeah, obviously getting to read the stories of the other winners as well was, was brilliant. Yeah. That's good. And then yourself? So I would say my something that I've really, really appreciated this week is listening to these sort of titans of the field, you know, Dean Wesley Smith, Jody, Jody Lynn Nye, Tim Powers, and, and all the rest of them. And what I loved most is that all of them gave different bits of advice, sometimes contrasting, conflicting mm-hmm. bits of advice. Uh, and they put... Did pre- you promote your book at a panel or not? They, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they present, presented, their, presented their, their, their bits of information, their bits of advice, um, but in, in a real sort of 
a really genuine way where it's like each person is literally telling you what has worked for them and you can sort of pick bits out that you think, hmm, that seems a good idea. That probably might not work for me, but that one would work for me, right? And then you can build your your sort of you add it to your your arsenal and and build your own or use it to help build your own your own career. Yeah, uh, and that's like I say when I said when I said earlier that money can't buy that sort of expertise and tutoring. It really it can't. Like, when are you going to get that many legends, fiction legends, in the same room for five days straight of intensive just hear of the secrets to to what we do? It's yeah, you can't you can't buy that. Good. And then on the illustrator side, I mean, there's definitely some legends there that you had. Oh, yes. Yes. I never expected to uh, be hugging Larry Elmore and calling him my <laughs> art grandpa. But, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of my favorite parts was the uh, figure drawing. We had these really amazing models come in and they were so expressive and they were the, in these amazing sci-fi costumes. And they were so fun. I love that. Um, and Bay Jackson. For those of you who don't know, Describe what, what that means, because these guys are writers and they don't know that. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Oh, so figure drawing is just a time figure drawing exercise. They'll, the models will pose in a certain position. They'll hold it for one minute, two minutes, five minutes, or 15 or 20 minutes. Sometimes we do longer, but uh, here we had like a mix of shorter poses. Yeah, so they have two people that are dressed in science fiction costumes, and they just and hold still for that, and then, then you get to sketch it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Bay Jackson... She gave us a little assignment to do from that. Uh, it was um, take one of the figure drawings, be inspired by them, and make that into more of an advanced sketch, um, somewhat going into a full illustration. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't do the full illustration in the workshop this year because of COVID restrictions. We couldn't quite get the um, uh, reference shooting material in. Uh, so we took it as far as we could. And yeah, just her feedback, and she was, she was really nice too. I like meeting her. Yeah, B. Jackson, she did, um, she did illustrated a children's book for Michelle Obama that hit the New York Times. And then she did one also for... Was that one from, for LeBron James? Yeah, yeah, yeah she that's that right. One there for LeBron James, yeah. She was a grand prize winner for volume 24. She's just amazing. She's just the queen of, of children's book illustration. Yeah, she's got such an expressive line. It's really nice. Yeah, it's really nice. So that's, that's great. And she's going to love hearing that. You said so... Larry is your uh, art <laughs> art father. Art and grandpa. Art grandpa. Yeah, okay, art grandpa. <laughs> and then B. Jackson. Um, uh, Echo and Laz, they made a really great team, and it was yeah. really nice whenever they were together, they uh, finish each other's sentences. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you just hear Echo shout, I've already told them that story. <laughs> but yeah, they shared so much inf information, and then... Yeah, I'm yeah. just so appreciative. That's good. Now, one thing that's that's really, I want to see if, if it came across to you, like the judges, this is one of their highlights every year, you know, coming here and talking to, you know, to you. So um, what ideas did you have coming into it and how has that changed or remained the same or, you know, now that we're at the other end of the workshop week? Uh, I, I can start. Um, so, so I, I, I think coming into it, my, my big, not flaw, but my, the, something I've struggled with uh, quite a lot um, is writing short, short stories, right? Like even my, my story of the writers of the future is like 40 <laughs> words beneath the, the, the max limit. Mm -hmm. um, 
and just condensing it down to sort of that sweet spot where you can, you know, actually have like a whole world worth of magazines who potentially could be markets for you. That that I, I have struggled with. And I think th this week I've learned, not only learned a lot of techniques to, to really, really help with that, but also proved that I could do it in the 24-hour story. Right? And, and so that was something before, especially with the 24-hour story, I was nervous. I was like, oh, I, I just can't write that short. You know, some people, a lot, some of the winners, their stories, their winning stories were like 4,500 words, which is doable in a 24-hour period, even if, you know, the quality isn't as high as if you have time to plan. But, but for me, it was like, I, I, I don't, I can't do that. I can't write a contained, self-contained story in 24 hours, but I obviously could because I did. Uh, so I think that for me, that was, that was something that I'll definitely take away of, of, of something, an ability that I, I didn't know I had, and I definitely have cultivated over this week with the help of, of the judges. Oh, good. What about yourself, Jess? Um, I think partly kind of bouncing off something Michael said earlier about all the kind of the different pieces of advice from the different judges. I think it's, um, when you're kind of starting out as a writer, it's very, you want to kind of look for, this is the right way to do it. And if I follow these steps, I will get published. I will write a good book. Yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of learning from them that these are obviously all people who are huge in the, in the writing industry and kind of have produced such brilliant work, but there is, there isn't one right way to do it. And I think that's, yeah, it, it's really good to know. Good. And yourself? Yeah, same on the art side. Um, it's really kind of opened my eyes to different avenues of making and different ways of creating that I haven't considered before. Yeah, it's a um, that's something that's really good is by having all the various perspectives of art or of writing that you're that you're given, and it's one thing is that you know you okay like you were saying, Jess. I just want to do if I do A B C D. <laughs> then E's going to come out and people are going to go, ah, <laughs> the next one. Yeah. And uh, which would be great. But I think one thing is developing your own voice. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your, what's your voice, whether it's as an illustration voice or as a writing voice, any comments about that, you know, developing your own voice, how this has helped, not necessarily you now have a voice because of this workshop, but that you have some more direction to actually help you achieve that. Yeah, I think it's it was um, kind of stuck with me that a lot of the the advice given by the judges was focused much more on kind of story and craft at that sort of slightly more macro level, because um, a lot of writing advice kind of focuses on the prose level and says things like don't use adjectives, um, which can kind of end up homogenizing things a little bit. You yeah. kind of end up with this very kind of workshop style, um, and so yeah, kind of the the idea that actually that's not necessarily what you need to focus on. It's, um, it's the story where maybe you want to focus your, your efforts at this level and tr kind of trust that your prose will, it will sound like you and it will take care of itself a bit. Yeah. I don't know. So, so my, my one it was uh, Dean Wesley Smith, uh, something he said to me when we were having a drink at the bar, as you do at Writers of the Future, just mm -hmm. casually yeah. have, a, have a beer with Dean Wesley Smith. Yeah. Um, and he... Uh, he he was sort of impressing upon the importance of not editing everything a thousand times to try and reach this level of perfection that doesn't exist. Uh, and and his take on it is the first draft you write is 
is the closest you're going to come, of course, to your your own voice because it is literally you're just kind of writing it as it comes to your head and you're not going through it with any sort of analytical, critical, oh, I must take away these or mm. like Jess said, oh, I'm not going to use adjective here. You know, you, so to stick as close to that uh, as you possibly can. And I, I know I am. I normally work at the other end of the spectrum, so this is going to be difficult for me to do, to, to really sort of switch off that part of the brain that says, mm, you should definitely edit that paragraph six times before you write the next one. Mm-hmm. But that seems like very sound advice, and it's definitely something I'm going, to, I'm going to try now. And not only that, but it helps you write a lot faster too. Yeah. When you're not editing as you, as you go, and you can just write, 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 and then go back and just fix what needs to be fixed, and, you know, small changes. And there's a time and a place for it. But, but yeah, that, that was very good advice, I thought. That's good, yeah. That's, when he first won way back 38 years ago, because his whole thing was to, he was trying to emulate Owen Hubbard uh, as a writer because Hubbard had a composition speed of 92 words a minute. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <laughs> so in A.E. Van Vogt, I don't know if you met his wife. She was there last night, um, Lydia Van Vogt. She was sitting next to Kevin Anderson, Yes, yeah, yeah. She's 95 years old now. Yeah. Um, but he told a story once watching Hubbard write a story. He put the paper in the typewriter and he looked towards the wall and he'd start typing. And as, as he was creating the story, he'd be typing because he, his, he was able to type 140 words a minute, but he was, his composition was that. So it was um, for him, he also said, too, you have to get to the point, you know, he, threw, he said, you got to throw away your first million words, you know, to build up a voice but to also build up where you're comfortable with the words coming out so that you can get into thinking, thinking those things so that you don't have to get into all the editing because now, but you don't, it's, it's something that has to acquire. You have to learn that, mm. you know, um, Dean writes what seventy thousand words a month that he publishes in his magazine. Yeah, Dean actually was telling us his uh, his challenge for this year was to write a short story a day every day for the year, <laughs> and like that just blows my mind. It's like the twenty four hour challenge yeah. that we all geared up for and yeah. stressed over. He yeah. does that every, every day, day. <laughs> as, as well as living a life. <laughs> like I just had those two things. How do they compute? But he right. does it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously, you know, I would guess, you know, almost 100% of them get sold to magazines. So it's not, he's, he's write, writing good quality stories. Yeah. And that's at a rate of one a day. So, yeah, both he and his wife, they're both judges, but they're, they're both just brilliant writers and uh, editors. And I mean, he's written millions of words. Mm. So he's got a voice, he's got his connection with the typewriter. So he's not thinking about what he's typing there. So, like, the quick brown fox. Okay, the quick brown fox jumped over the. Oh no, it didn't jump over Lazy River. The lazy fox jumped over the quick. No, what was it? So getting into that self-correcting stuff. But he's now through that, so he can just like conceive the idea, and he's just typing it. You know, so he's that fast like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I dream of being that fast and productive. Well, yeah, just, who knows? You just keep on doing it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, just got to yeah. do it and do it and do it, and then you get yeah. that. So, what's what's the uh, fiction scene like in uk oh the, i can talk about the book covers <laughs> okay good so the book covers in the uk are there is a very significant style between here and the us i think the us is starting to trend towards what the uk is doing and the uk often has a lot more graphic style covers they're a lot less illustrative which for me i i prefer the illustrations but okay that's what the market's yeah. doing <laughs> um 
And yeah, it's really interesting to see the trends go. And you'll see illustrators like Sam Weber, who does have a gra- very more uh, graphical and 2D compositional style, even though he renders in a very, very good way. Uh, he, I will still see his covers come through in the UK, but with other artists like Dan Dos Santos, I won't see his adult fantasy novels come through, but I will see his YA fantasy novels come through. So YA middle grade, those still remain quite more illustrative, but the adult significantly more graphic. Wow. Okay. And then, I mean, you're a librarian, so you know everything mm-hmm. about books. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you see is, is the trend there in um, on fiction? Um, well, interestingly, I think there have been um, a number of new short fiction magazines in the UK that have come out just in the past couple of years. Oh, that's um, cool. Cosmas Infinities, um, Wild Blood Magazine, Gwithlian Magazine, um, which are all yeah, solely speculative fiction. Um, and the, there wasn't really a huge amount of number of magazines doing that before. So it's great to see that kind of emerging market for, for short um, SFF in the UK, which is, yeah. Oh, that's and, good. Yeah. I hope they carry on. Yeah. Absolutely. So when did you leave UK to go to Sweden? 2018, so four years okay, ago. Okay, it's not that long ago. So um, so you're in Sweden now because of family? Work and family, yeah. Yeah, so I, so I moved there originally for work um, to take the job as a, as a journalist there. And then family. My, in fact, my original plan was just to stay somewhere between six months to a year. And then life happened, and four years later, I'm there with a one-year-old son, uh, <laughs> and there is uh, there's no way back. Now, but I, I, yeah, I, so I think I'll be there for the provisional future at least. Yeah. So then, when you were in in um, in the UK, what was the what was the scene like for you, fiction scene? As okay, um, so I I guess I can only really speak to it within fantasy. I would say just because that was that was the sort of area that I always liked to read, uh, and and that was also the area that I was aspiring to be a, a writer within like that in in that genre. So I so that I had I kept quite a good a good eye out for for what was new, what was what was what was coming out, um, and I, I quite like that we we do seem to have some we have some very strong fantasy writers in the UK. Uh, obviously, Joe Abercrombie is I guess he's quite big here as well. He's he and he's. It was quite a while ago that he came out with um, the first Law trilogy, but there's also people like Mark Lawrence, and there's a couple of others as well who who they started. To, I started to read their books just as I was beginning my sort of okay, take it seriously, right uh, phase, and uh, and that was good to see that it wasn't just America because obviously there's so many amazing sci-fi fantasy writers in the US or American sci-fi fantasy writers. So it was it was really sort of encouraging for me to see that oh there there are, there are some you know equally good. Uh, ones in the UK and 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 are, are being newly published, like sort of aren't, aren't from the 80s and 90s, but are springing up now. So it's like, well, that sort of opens up the door, or at least shows the path to to what can be done, uh, if that's you know within your if that's what you aspire to be. Cool. And then on um, then the workshop we had all the various essays also by I think it was one by Algis Bodus and several by by Hubbard that he wrote in the 30s and 40s, but then the Instructors still use them. They said some of the stuff, you know, might be dated, might be dated in terms of execution, but the, the principles remain just as valid now as, as when they were first written. So 
Michael, so any particular essay that stands out that you look at, okay, this really makes sense to me, or this, I can see how this will help me? Okay, so, so I, I liked, firstly, I liked the suspense, the, the, the essay on, on, on the art of building suspense, and because that's not something I, I really think about too much when I write. So of course it's it comes sort of naturally when you're writing tense scenes. It yes. can come, but to look at it from a more analytical standpoint and actually break down, break down the sort of what it what it what it includes, and, and then and then obviously like I, like I said, you can kind of almost reverse engineer it. And if you know what it consists of, then you can apply it. Think of a scene and okay, okay, I'm going to build this scene to be suspenseful. Uh, so that that one was good. And I also liked uh, the the Elron Hubbard. Um, essay on I can't remember what the title was but that was about being productive sort of how your word flow and how many how many words you're 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 getting you're getting out and and as I said for someone who traditionally has lent more on the sort of hmm I'm going to write 300 words today but they're going to be perfect as opposed to I'm going to write 2,000 words today and you know probably 1,600 of them will be very good words but, the manuscript factory one. Yeah, exactly. That's the one. That's the one. The manuscript factory, and and so that almost uh, along with everything else that's that's been sort of compiled is bouncing around my brain at the moment from the week. Mm-hmm. That that will help me, I think, moving forward to be more productive as a writer, which is key if you if you want the same sort of output, or if you want a professional output in any yeah. case, it's, it's very important. Good. And Jessica, do you have anything that... I'm going to agree on the um, the suspense essay. Um, it was actually interesting to kind of look at that and think that you don't only have to be writing kind of a, a horror or thriller type of story to apply that and that you can you can weave it into your work in different ways as well. Yeah, what makes yeah. a person want to turn the page? Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's good. And any particular um, essays or, or datums that you got from the Illustrator workshop? Uh, yeah, for sure. There was this one about um, intent in his art book, how intent is always, always, always put in before the technical still skill of an illustration. Mm-hmm. And I'm very happy I got to hear that again because I forget it. And a lot of people forget a lot of lessons and they just need to keep on hearing it. It's so true because it's art, which applies for both writing as well as illustration. Art is a quality of communication. Yeah. And... So it's like I went over today at the, at the workshop, you know, it's like in order to communicate, you have to have intention and unintention in order to get some type of communication. So if you don't have that intent yeah. there. Especially the communication of an emotion or a feeling, it's just so, so important, especially when you're like trying to attract the attention for like these amazing stories. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you see um, just as your future with respect to writing where, where do you want to take it um well i um i would like to continue writing short stories as well but i'm uh, yeah i've had one novel come out last year i'm kind of working on the second one now and i would like to kind of build a career in uh, in writing novels good um, so now well. tell me about yeah. this novel okay um, i didn't know to ask that question oh, so now you okay. mentioned it, i'm asking yeah. it. <laughs> um so it's called the word it came out in october last year through new welsh rarebite um and kind of had a slightly unusual path to publication in that it was originally a, a novelette um won the new welsh writing rewards in uh 2019 and then the publishers kind of came back to me and said well we'd like to make this into a something a bit longer have you got any other short stories and I'd sort in the meantime over lockdown I'd kind of had this idea for a continuation and written it thinking I would just put it on my website or something so I went 
I haven't got any short stories I can give you at the moment, but I have got this and sent it off. And they, they liked it, luckily, and they, they published the full-length thing. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So everybody knows that when you get a book published mm-hmm. and it's actually got paper in between the cover, you send it to the writers of the future so we can put it in the library. Of course. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, um, Dan, so what do you see as, I mean, you seem like you're like, you've got s- some trajectories like has been building and you're like locked and loaded and it's going good. Are you going to keep the same thing or do you want to be able to expand into other aspects of art or what? Yeah, I definitely like to be able to expand into other things. I still want to keep the illustration going. Like uh-huh. the book illustration is just what I enjoy the most. Like I love reading the <laughs> some artists will complain that they have to read the entire story before they can illustrate it but I, that's my favorite part <laughs> so <laughs> and it makes um, a difference it really makes a difference when you get a cover that actually matches the story yeah for sure but as well as that i'd like to start working on some of my own projects like uh, michael talbot who's one of the visiting alumni i think he won eight years ago yeah yeah he was speaking how he has uh, an old friend who's his art rival and they keep on challenging each other and pushing each other and well, I love Michael. He's such a great guy. He's yeah. such such a fun energy. Uh, he's actually challenged me to uh, put on my own gallery show by the end of the year, and wow. I think I might take him up on that. So, uh, oh, that's awesome. Who knows? <laughs> Only eight months left, so I better get cracking. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was a fun story that he gave about his. So I know him when I like. He's gonna try to do more. So I'm gonna outdo him. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's great. And then yourself, where, where do you see yourself going now in your writing? Yeah, so I am in the process of writing a novel which is actually set in the same world as the story that won Writers of the Future. So, so that was almost like a window into, into that world. And, uh, and I'm in the process of writing a, a full length with the same character sort of from, from the beginning almost and, 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 and going there. It was actually... Um, the late David Farland was was actually working with me in he wanted to pitch that because he'd just become a, an editor at Bain uh, Books. So he wanted to take that on as one of his projects there, uh, obviously uh, just, just before his un- unfortunate, untimely passing. So at the moment, I'm kind of still trying to salvage that slash... Uh, sort of, you know, write as many words as I can uh, because, you know, you can't sell a book until you actually have a finished book, uh, which is always good to know. A bit of advice there for you kids. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, so, um, so that's, that's, that's the aim. And then that's uh, a series actually I'm working on. So, so hopefully, I don't know, five years, 10 years, you'll go into some bookstore and there'll be a load of epic fantasy books by hey, Michael, Michael Panther. Yes. Hey, Michael, you are looking for an illustrator for those there? <laughs> I, uh, you know, I actually would, would love an illustrator for that. Although, although I'm going to have Brett Stump will be extremely betrayed. Oh, that is, throw him oh under that's the entirely bus. fair. If I throw him <laughs> under the bus. But if, no, if, if uh, his Brett... His heart bleeds it, for Brett. Yeah, if, if Brett should, should for some reason not be able to, uh, to, you know, if he's too busy, he's too successful... I'll, uh, I'll come knocking because I mean because you're clearly not successful enough as it is. Is doing no. books for Brandon Sanderson uh, and Warhammer. Uh, so uh, so yeah. I appreciate that, but I don't want to step on Brett's toes. He's so good. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's great. Uh, so now you've been working this, becoming writers and an illustrator um, for we've already established you know for a considerable part of your life. 
So one thing that people listen to this podcast, they're aspiring. And sometimes people, I just can't deal with all this rejection. I can't, de- you know, the things that they feel like, the things that they feel they can't survive, that they can't uh, deal with. So, you know, again, this is just going to be open to all three of you to answer, but things that you had to overcome and real, real things for you, which on the effect side of it was like, it was very real. It was overwhelming. And it was like, it almost got the best of you. But then once you got through it, you look at, oh, what was I thinking? So any stuff that the other writers or artists, you know that they're going through that you can give them that your own story that will turn into words of encouragement for them. Yeah, I, do you want me, I can go first. I can okay. go first. I've, uh, I've got a couple of stories actually. Uh, the no, I think I think the, the main one for me would be, and this is it. Really, really is very very simple concept, but it's very easy to ignore slash be blinded and, and not pay attention to the fact that rejection, especially within writing, is every bit as it is it is key as in it's going to happen to everyone there is not a single writer alive who has not been told no at some point in their life right there is yeah and these judges that you're being taught they still get rejected exactly yeah and that was something dean wesley smith said the other day he he still admittedly you know few and far between but he does still get turned down you know he can send a short story off and they say no thank you um and so that was something that coming into it i don't think people re- accept or realize that it's how how very very normal it is, and it's not a mark on you know what on your writing at all. I remember my first uh, my first novel went again after I decided to take writing seriously. I sent that off, and I was really happy with it. And I thought, well, this is you know this is as easy as that. I just now just got to wait for the agents or publishers to get back to me. And and what's this? A rejection? A letter of rejection or an email of rejection? I was like, they're they're mad. They're blind. How can they not see this of his talent? Uh, and and I get. I think I think you sort of you look at uh, you look at that, and when you're sending sending it out, and you're so happy with it, especially the first time, the second time, you're like, I, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, I must, these must, this must be good. This must be good because I believe I'm I'm good, and people tell me the right the writing's good. And and the thing is that you you literally again, it sounds really simple, but you just have to keep going and going and going and going and I promise you if you write 11 books I don't care how good you think you are when you write the first one if you write 11 books your 11th book is going to be 10 times better than your first book you and you after a while you can begin to see the flaws in the books when you look back on them and say hmm I understand now why why that wasn't publishable or why it wasn't you know it, it could be a really good story and your writing's still good but the small details make very very big differences at the elite level um so so I would say write, 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 and write some more. And just, you know, be proud of your, of your rejections because every time, every time you get a rejection, that means you, you first have to have completed something to, to even get a rejection. And that's, that's a step. You've taken a step. You get another rejection, that's, that's another step. And eventually you, you write enough that you get good enough mm-hmm. and someone will publish. You know, if you're, if you're dedicated enough, and it will happen. Just as a point, and then I'll get back to you here a second, Jess. Uh, Preston Dennett was uh, a winner three or four years ago, he'd been entering since the early, when the first contest first came out. And he's got the record of 47 entries in the contest before he won. And he went through a period, he was just like, that's it, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm just like, I'm terrible. He put all of, he got rid of all of his science fiction books. It was a total 
for him a defeat. He said, okay, that's it. I'm done. He saved his Rise of the Future. I said, I, I couldn't get rid of my Rise of the Future books, but everything else I got rid of. Mm -hmm. And then he said how when he found out from Dean Wesley Smith that the editors of the magazines talked to each other and they were saying, what do you think of this one guy here, you know? And he was starting to build up a name. They were just like, okay, that's, what's, he's ready. To, who's going to be the first one to publish him? And they're going back. Who's going to be the first one to publish him? And then he disappeared. He stopped writing. And he found out later that there was a, a workshop or something that Dean Wesley Smith was given. He was talking about this, the Topanga Canyon story, about this guy from Topanga Canyon. Uh, maybe you heard that. He told me at the bar, yes. That was another one of <laughs> Dean's bar stories. And it is a good one, so please continue. Yeah. <laughs> How... He, he just, just they were, he was getting very, very close to you know, seeing who was going to be the one that was going to publish him. And then when Preston heard that, all of a sudden went, Topanga Canyon, are they talking about me? Because he'd been submitting, 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 and then he just stopped. You know, he, he quit. And then when he found out, he, he wrote to Dean and asked, was that me? And Dean said, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so he realized, oh, my God. You know, so he got back into writing and he submitted several more times. It took a while still for him to do it, but he finally won. I mean, he, there wasn't a, a dry eye in the audience when he told his story. You know, just how much, I mean, he went up to the top of emotion and then out to the, below the bottom as he was, you know, his writing career, but he finally made it. And he's, he writes now paranormal books, but he's, he's extremely prolific. He's written and published several Stories about first contact, aliens, the UFOs, all that type of stuff there. But he almost, you know, if he didn't hear that one thing about Topanga Canyon, he would have, he would have just stayed, you know, incorrectly so. But it was, he was a self-imposed, you know, I can't do this. And that's one thing, too, that you have to, you know, deal with is that, you know, the persistence factor. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that especially with books, because books can be so different to one another, right? Just because you write one book, the next book is could be a completely different theme, could be a completely different story. Just because one book has not found a home does not mean that every book you're ever going to write, you know, it's, you have a fresh slate every time you send off something. So I, and I know it's difficult to kind of dust yourself off and get back behind the keyboard after you've spent a year maybe writing on something that you haven't been able to sell. But the next book has, you know, every it has no bearing on how much chance your next book has at potentially finding a home. Yeah. And what about yourself, Jess? Any story on that for you? Yeah. I mean, um, it was interesting actually hearing Michael talk about the 24-hour story and kind of how that helps you not self-edit rigorously in the same way. Because um, for a long time, I didn't finish things because I would kind of, I would write half of something and then be unhappy with it and go back to the start and tinker with it and then go back to the start and tinker with it again. Um, and I, I came across, I think it was a blog post somewhere just that just sort of said, give yourself permission to be rubbish. And so I, I kind of thought, okay, well, I'll give that a try. I don't think it's going to work, but I'll give it a try. And um, I, I started sitting down and just kind of banging out the first draft. Um, and it turns out that kind of when you do that, the, the stuff you think is rubbish while you're writing it, sure, some of it will need fixing, but you can do that. You can edit. And some of it will actually be quite good. And you'll think, oh, okay, actually, yeah, yeah, that, that wasn't so bad. Um, so, yeah, um, finishing things and kind of not, not hampering yourself with too much self-criticism, I think, is a, is a I yeah, think that's, important. That's absolutely correct, yeah. yeah. Anything that you've got, senor? 
Senora. Oh, me. <laughs> uh, yeah, without what Jess just said, definitely the same thing applies. Just being able to accept the fact that when you start, like, you won't be as good as you want to be, and that's okay. It's just you want to express something to someone else, you want to communicate something, or even if it's just, like, purely for yourself. Uh-huh. Like, it may take a lot of tries for you to be happy with it. And... <laughs> You may you may always be chasing that perfect illustration that may not come, but um, it, it makes you a lot happier when you just go for it and you just keep trying. Oh, good. So just from each one of you, what would be your best piece of advice that you'd give to the aspiring writer or artist from where you now stand? Write for yourself. Write what makes you happy, and the rest will come. The, the rest flows from there, I think. There's no point trying to write to match trends. There isn't any point trying to write because you believe mm, this is what somebody else is looking, is looking for if it's completely outside of your wheelhouse. I think you write for yourself first and foremost because you know that's why we do it. We enjoy it. And write what you, what, first and foremost what you enjoy. And that was where your best work will come from. Good. Um, write what you care about, don't self-reject, and don't be afraid to be weird. In fact, if you find yourself thinking, hmm, maybe this is a bit too weird, you're probably on the right track. Yeah, we're, we're all weird. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, one, yeah, one of yeah. the good things about being here this week, is we're so within our flock. Of, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you're weird too. Great. Yeah. Br- yeah. Bring it back to Brett Stump for a second. He was mentioning, oh, it's weird. I've found myself in a room with 15 other me's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And invariably, it comes up every year or something. Ah, oh, there's other people like me. Yeah. You know, which is great. So um, as we wrap up here, so starting with you, Jess, uh, for someone to find out about you, how do, where do they go to find out about you? Um, they can go to my website, which is www.jl-george.com, or you can find me on Twitter at jlgeorgewrites. Great. And? Uh, I am at danwatsonart.com. I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, all of that. Everything. Come find me. <laughs> Good. And if you're poking around and you just even get close to his name and you start seeing the amazing art, you found him. <laughs> and then you're, yourself, Michael. Yes. Yeah, so michaelpanter.com is my website. You can email me at michaelpanterauthor at gmail.com. So, I mean, if you, if you get, get a chance to read volume 38 of Writers of the Future, which I would definitely recommend if you're into sci-fi fantasy, it's incredible. Oh, uh, yeah. then, then do... Let me know what you thought about, about my story and other people's stories, if you like, and I can pass on the message because I'm a kind human being. Um, <laughs> and then if you want to follow me on socials, it's michaelpanther5, pretty much across the board, Instagram, Twitter. Um, yeah, I look forward to potentially hearing from you. That's great. And so if you go to galaxypress.com, you'll be able to get volumes 36 and see the amazing... Um, or read the amazing Catching My Death by Jessica. And then you can get volume 37. So you can just see what it is we're talking about when we talk about amazing illustration of uh, Dan. And then obviously, like Michael was saying there, with volume 38, The Lilt of a Lark. (laughs) So thank you all for uh, being on this podcast. Thank you, John. Thank you for having us. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. 
The Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere else on Amazon. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Jess and Dan and Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.